Welcome to Is This Anime? I am your quote-unquote anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And joining us once again is Carson Hazlitt. Carson, how are you, buddy? I am fantastic. How are you doing? Fantastic as well. And we are finally doing the much-anticipated, or, or maybe not. Uh, I, I don't know you personally, dear listener. Uh, but much-anticipated for us, because Carson, when you first started this podcast, uh, you came on to our Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within cast. Uh, where we talked a lot about uh, the uh, what this work that we're discussing is adapting. So you already did a lot of the heavy lifting. And if you, dear <laughs> listener, want to also get some background, because uh, I just didn't want to fucking re-say all this stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> listen to our Final Fantasy VII, The Spirits Within episode, because we are talking about the second Final Fantasy movie, Final Fantasy VII, Advent Children uh and this movie uh i i do remember our spirits within podcast very well we talked a lot about mm-hmm. final fantasy 7 to begin with so yes. yeah if you guys want background on that game go listen to that one because i kind of already did the work there <laughs> um but it's all good yeah we're talking about advent children it is a, a movie that i have feelings on uh perhaps mixed ones and one and then when i rewatch this movie my feelings during my present watch did not necessarily match what I thought I would feel, if that makes any th- mm, sense. Interesting. Um, Carson, uh, before we get into like a little history segment, what are your thoughts or w- your thoughts prior to this viewing of Advent Children? Just your basic I've, ones. Oh, man. I've seen Advent Children before this before this most recent viewing probably six or seven times because um, I was, oh, God, I think 12 when I saw it for the first time. And when you're 12, you're like, giant man with sword cool graphics and i loved it i thought it was the coolest thing ever uh my more recent viewings have been okay the pacing isn't great uh the voice acting isn't great but the fight scenes are cool uh so i enjoy the movie but definitely not as much as i used to it's funny so yeah i'm a bit older than you so i think i watched this when i was like 15 16 or whatever like i was watching this on my fucking psp when i was going on my (laughs) trip to mexico uh with high school or whatever so i was like watching it like that and yeah um my background i had never even finished final fantasy 7 i knew of the plot obviously i know you know Aerith dies they defeat Sephiroth. blah 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 i think everyone especially at that time knew that or at least the nerds did maybe not any Mm. normal person would but I knew the basics, certainly enough to watch the movie. And yeah, like I, I've watched this movie multiple times as well as a as a young teen. But again, then there's the period where like maybe this movie sucks and maybe it's dumb yep. and maybe it's bad. And I think it's uh, reception among the current fandom is that it's not good. And yet, while there are things we'll get into that I do not like about this movie, I did view other things more positively. So that mm. came as a surprise to me, just as part of the preamble. Um, yeah, and I mean, the action's fantastic. I mean, the, the, the action scenes, uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into the specifics. Anyways, um, to talk about this, we have to talk about the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, Carson. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. <laughs> this was the first commissioned thing of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII. So a little bit of background about this. Basically, Square Enix... They released the video game Final Fantasy X. It's a huge success. Then they did what at the time was completely unusual and released a sequel to it called Final Fantasy X-2. Final Fantasy X-2, which is a very weird game and not a conventional sequel at all. It is very difficult. I have never gone far in that game, even though I should like all the aspects of it. Um, But certainly a game that I think is well-received. And it was successful enough that the folks at Square decided what other Final Fantasy games could they expand upon? And of course, the uh, the easy answer was Final Fantasy VII, which at the time, I think, you know, I, I don't have numbers, but it's fair to say Final Fantasy VII is the most successful world of Final Fantasy that has ever been created, right? I mean, oh, certainly even... I think by far. It's, it's what people think of when they think of Final Fantasy. They think of yeah. Cloud, they think of... 
Sephiroth. And again, yeah. it's that game itself also influenced Final Fantasy, the spirits within, even though they didn't pick the best parts of that. <laughs> uh, they picked all the, all the spirituality and not necessarily any of the, the iconic visuals that maybe would yes. helped that movie <laughs> do better. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they chose to expand it. The first release project was not Advent Children, however. It is a mobile game called Before Crisis that contains a lot of key lore. Well, key, quote-unquote key, because it has never been released in North America, was never translated, and it has yet to be remade, despite uh, Square loving their remix. Yep. Uh, so yeah, here's the uh, compilation, what consists of the compilation. There is a 20-minute OVA called Last Order, Final Fantasy VII, which focuses on the uh, relationship between Zack and Cloud, although that movie, I guess, is no longer canon, because another element of the compilation of final fantasy 7 came out two years later called crisis core which is very beloved and then completely undid everything (laughs) (laughs) we're already getting into confusing shit guess what uh this is very confusing material there's also final fantasy 7 snowboarding that's part of the compilation it's arguably the best part of the compilation but again where's the re-release instead no we're just gonna have to wait for it to be in final fantasy remake part three or whatever yep Good things come to those who wait. Uh, <laughs> Dirge of Cerberus, Final Fantasy VII, that is also not a beloved game. Maybe it'll get remade since it's technically the last part of the canon, except for the fact that Final Fantasy VII Remake is technically the last part of the canon because, spoilers, dear friends, dear listeners, because again, we're talking a lot about Final Fantasy VII. You're just going to have to be into it or jump off. <laughs> <laughs> Final Fantasy 7 Remake at this point given that it came out 4 years ago is not a remake it is a sequel to the video game Final Fantasy 7 and therefore while I guess it's an alternate timeline if you're just going to stack them up I suppose it is the most recent part it's an alternate timeline that uh starts off similarly to the original game and it turns out uh things may not happen the same way as you already would know if you played it I'm already getting fucking exhausted and confused. <laughs> Dear listener, I'm so sorry. I was like, okay, I'm going to explain this properly. Anyways, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, a great game. A game many people who have not played the original have still played and enjoyed. I know because I have convinced friends to do that and they still had a good time. And then I get insufferable about them telling them that it's a sequel. Anyways, <laughs> this is a 2005 film. It is uh, co-directed by Tetsuyu Nomura and Takeshi Nozue. And written by uh, Kazushige Nojima. I'm pretty sure all three of those guys are still working on r- the remake project, except for I maybe Nozue. So. Nozue is not... the only one I'm not confident on. Okay. Um, but maybe even you could just check. Anyways, yeah. uh, like we said, this is part of the compilation. Uh, and yeah, Nomura, he actually joined the film halfway as a director. It was not intended to be a film of this length. Basically, it started off as a 20-minute film by a company called Visual Works. They then further expanded it to 60 minutes, which is when Nomura joined. And they're like, okay, we need an official director. And then uh, Nozue joins. And uh, Nozue's role role is pretty uh, funny. His role came in the form of the action scenes, as whenever an action scene occurred in the script, Nomura simply made a note to refer to Nozue. <laughs> you know, Nomura is interested in the spirituality and the themes of uh, you know, his games, which fair enough. But for the action scenes, he's just like, okay, you you guys talk to Nozue. I've got nothing to do with this. Yeah, it's just a note. Cloud fights Sethroth, then that's that's his work. <laughs> um, I, again, the the roles that animators that people in animation projects play is not as standard as like an American film, so. Even though uh, Nojima is the official writer, Nomura is still heavily involved in the story. And then, yeah, Nojima joins. Nojima joined after Nomura originally made the project 60 minutes. So it goes from 20 to 60 with Nomura joining. And then uh, Nojima joins, which then boots it up to 100. And then guess what? The film we're talking about is not 100 minutes. It's uh, 26 minutes longer because they then release a new version in 2009 called Advent Children Complete, which is uh, effectively the default version. Uh, I'm not even sure if you could get the original cut anywhere on modern media. I don't think so. I I looked pretty extensively for the modern cut a few years ago, and I couldn't find it anywhere. 
Yeah, I mean, this film, it's also being re-released. I was talking to Carson about seeing it, but it turns out Fathom Events uh, doesn't have a Canadian relationship, I suppose. Nope. Uh, which sucks, because, yeah, they also did a re-release of Gurren Lagan this month, and I was hoping to see it. Again, I spoke to Carson about it. I was hoping to see it. Did not happen in Canada. The Americans, they got to see it. So <laughs> I'd be seeing it right now, because it it's out this weekend. Uh, it is, <laughs> and I'm very sad that we're not seeing it in theaters. Exactly. It's such a bummer. But that's on you, Fathom Events. I, I even tweeted at Square. I'm like, bring it to Canada, guys. And I even tagged Cineplex. <laughs> mm. I got like a dozen likes, so maybe that's enough. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, Advent Children Complete is 26 minutes longer and contains over 1,000 revised shots, most notably the addition of blood in Cloud's fight with Sephiroth at the end and a scene where Cloud is impaled by him. There you go. Uh, if if you want a more extensive comparison, go on Screen Rant or something. I was debating. <laughs> I was debating how much history segment to talk about this film, but quite frankly, a lot of it just confuses me. I think that's very fair. When you get into the weeds of the world of Final Fantasy VII, it's like, no, it's not that hard to figure out. But and I would argue that's still the case. But if someone explains it, it probably makes you more confused, if anything. If you just play the yeah. pieces of media, you're probably fine. Like, again, yeah. Plenty of people played remake uh, without playing the original seven. And they're like, oh, sweet. this is just a cool game and a sequel will come out later. Exactly. Some, some of them might not even know Aerith dies, except because it's a sequel. She might not. <laughs> she might not. Well, there's only one way to find out. It's, I know. I'm so excited. Again, I've been I waiting four years to fucking find out how they handle mm -hmm. that twist. Anyways, let's get into uh, the opening of the film. We open with... The music that accompanies the first shot of Final Fantasy VII, but this time it's focused on Red 13 and his children. Again, it's like the ending to the video game Final Fantasy VII, which takes place 500 years after that game ends. It's a quick scene of the Red Lion, Red 13, with his children on a hill, and you see the city that you have been exploring the entire game, and it is now not just rubble, but taken over by the environment. And it was an ambiguous ending because it didn't even clarify the fates of the characters. Nope. Nope. But guess what? Because this is a movie, uh, we get to find out what happens. So we then see a title card that says 498 years ago. And we get the speech from the villain Kadaj. And he says, why does humankind even bother? You wreck everything you ever made and you start over like you'll be any different the next time. And then a man in white who's in a wheelchair responds, I suppose we're no good at facing our memories. We'd rather gild the past and find something worthwhile among the rubble and build a future with that. And then Kadaj asks, and that's why you salvaged mother? Again, mother referring to Genova, who is uh, the mother of the main villain, effectively, Sethroth. And again, Carson, you're, you're even better with Final Fantasy VII than uh, myself, so I'm going to have to ask you the question. Genoa is like an alien that came to the planet like a thousand years ago or something, right? Yeah, so the planet used to be... Uh, oh, why am I blanking? Uh, it used to be filled with these people called the Ancients. And then one day, Genova basically fell out of the sky and killed almost all of them, except for what was left of Aerith's bloodline, and Aerith is the last Ancient. And then, uh, of course, things happen, and then there are no Ancients left. Yes, things happen. And the original... And then the there's no, no more left. But who knows? We'll see what happens in, in Rebirth. Exactly. So the Turks, who are basically the Gestapo of the Shinra Corps, they're now on the side of Angels, and they're investigating something which looks to be Northern Crater. That's what I... Yeah, that's what I thought it was. Okay, then I'll trust you that. Uh, the Turks, let's talk about the Turks. They are in this movie a lot, specifically they... Reno and Rude. Yeah, um... Going from just the original Final Fantasy VII to Advent Children, it's kind of jarring how much they're in this movie. Because I never particularly loved them in the original game, but they're... I, I liked them in the movie, but they're in the movie a, a lot. Especially at Reno. <laughs> uh, at the expense of screen time of other characters people would have wanted to see, too. Yeah, because... absolutely. I was shocked by how uh, little screen time Barrett, who is basically third. I mean, again, there, there's effectively four four leads in the video game Final Fantasy VII. It's Cloud, Tifa, Aerith, Barrett in that order, basically. Yeah. Um, maybe Aerith goes above Tifa in plot importance uh, mm -hmm. because of what happens. But again, four co 
four main leads and its fourth lead, who again, is pretty much on equal footing, has a minuscule amount of screen time compared to uh, who are basically, um, what was it? R2-D2 and 3PO in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I like the Tur- I like Reno and Rude because I can't even just say the Turks because there's two other Turks that have no rel- barely any screen time, maybe like two yeah, or three lines. Barely in the movie. Like I thought Elena died. And I was like, that's a really weird thing to do to Elena. But, oh, no, she's alive. Okay. Yeah, it's important to talk about the Turks. And again, the fact that we're talking so much about the Turks already compared to the rest of the cast just kind of tells you what the uh, priorities were in this film. The Turks are basically, yeah, like I said, the Gestapo. They are bad people. And they're kind of like um, Power Ranger villains in the the original game. Yeah. And it, again, it's funny because I, I hadn't played Final Fantasy VII fully when I had watched this movie. So I'm just thinking, oh, Reno and Rude, they're like clearly important characters. And in fact, uh, they definitely do important things, but their screen mm. time is certainly uh, substantially less in that original game. Oh, God, so much less. So much less. Uh, and yeah, they are bad people. Like they, they dress in cool suits. Again, it's very Pulp Fiction, you know, very quirky. But they are bad fucking people. Reno and Rude, especially like what? They bring down a plate that kills like 15,000 people or some shit. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, they're bad dudes. (laughs) And the film does address that. But it's still very strange the amount of screen time they get. So anyways, we get a summary of FF7 with the benefit of scenes being rendered in far greater detail than they were on in PS1. Again, this movie, uh, the CGI has certainly aged as uh, it would because it's a 19-year-old movie. But certainly if this is, you know, 2005 and this is your, you know, you're going from a PS1 game to this, like, it's pretty awesome seeing all these iconic scenes being re-rendered. Oh, man. Yeah. Seeing that just blew my mind. It's like, oh, wow, it doesn't look like it's running on bricks anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is a gorgeous movie for sure. Um, it's it's aged in certainly the color grading, especially it's got that very muted uh, Xbox 360 bloom filter. Yeah. Yes, it does. You know, such was the time. Mm-hmm. But at least it kind of tracks with what this film is going about. Anyways, we see a memorial in uh, the city known as Edge, which is uh, it's a memorial called Meteor Fall. Because, again, the the ending of Final Fantasy VII ended with a meteor nearly destroying the planet. It still did a fair bit of damage. But again, the world survived. And we learn about this disease called Geostigma. And it's ravaged the world since the de- the defeat of Satheroth. Tifa, she's again, like basically the second or third lead in the game. She is now running a delivery service with Cloud called Strife Delivery. And we hear someone on the radio ask whether Shinra should be held financially responsible for what's happened, to which I wrote in my notes, no fucking shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they literally were responsible for the death of the planet. Uh, every single person involved in that company should be charged with uh, war crimes or something. Yes, absolutely. The Turks especially. Reno and Rude, again, like we said, dropped a plate. I don't care if those were just orders. Uh, that wasn't enough to uh, as much clear as the Nazis. Sucks. Yeah, as much as it sucks to say, Reno and Rude are just terrorists. Like, they, they committed acts of terror for essentially just political gain in the movie. But it, it's fine, because in this movie, they're quirky pals, and we enjoy seeing them on screen. Their role, honestly, in this movie makes more sense without playing the game, I feel. It really does. Because it, it was so weird. I'm like, why are they... Like, they're in a heroic role in the movie. I'm like, it, it's so weird. Oh, man. Uh, we then see a lone wolf next to the rusted Buster Sword, which, again, symbolism. Uh, and the Buster Sword is uh, on a hill that was basically where Cloud's best friend died protecting him. So it's a it's an area with a lot of symbolism. And yeah, of course, a lone wolf is next to that sword. Uh, Cloud, he is on a motorbike and he's getting visions. Uh, they're kind of related to geostigma, but also just probably PTSD related as well. It's not fully clear. And then the creepy Sephiroth scene plays. Uh, first off, again, the, mu- the music in this movie fucking rules. It's yes. Uh, fully orchestrated versions of the tracks from the video game. And again, now obviously with you know Final Fantasy VII Remake being a 2020 game, obviously you can listen to tracks equal or greater than that. But again, 2005, this was just a revelation. And again, the, the music still holds up. Oh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I was going to touch on it later, but I know the composer, Nobuyo Imatsu, 
said this version of One Winged Angel is what he's always wanted it to be. And you can see why. It's, in my opinion, the best version of the song that's that there's ever been. I'd obviously have to compare, but again, I'm I'm not gonna diss the tracks in this movie. They are all fantastic. <laughs> They're they amazing. Um, what is it? Uh, so we see the creepy and annoying Sethroth triplets. Uh, they go by the names Kadaj. Is it Yazu? Yazu, and I always forget their names because oh, Kadaj think... is only the interesting one to me. <laughs> there, there's I have an order of interest. Uh, there's Kadaj Laws. Who's second most interesting, and then mm -hmm. the other guy who literally does fucking nothing. He does nothing except look kind of pretty. Yeah, it's weird because that that other guy, uh, we don't even need to fucking remember his name. At least Laws gets a prominent fight. But I was yeah. like trying to think like what the other dude was gonna get, who again looks very similar to Kadaj, which makes it even harder. At least yep. Laws is like the brute. He's the you know guy who doesn't speak much. But yeah, uh, mm -hmm. they couldn't even find. Uh, a third character of these Sephiroth triplets to make interesting. No, not that they are uh, entirely successful either. I, I let's just get this out of the way. The antagonists in this movie are bad. They, they are suck. the <laughs> they are the worst part of this film. And even when we do see the quote unquote true antagonists of this movie, they are not particularly interesting until uh, one moment that I will highlight uh, much mm. much later. Anyways, uh, they suck. They're the antagonists. They're awful i th i thought this movie would maybe redeem them or maybe i would find something that i liked about them and uh, no in fact they're even worse than i remember <laughs> uh laws has one funny line right before his fight scene and that's the only redeeming thing to me <laughs> and actually you know laws laws's fight i think is one of the best in the movie too the, the fight itself is incredible um it's just as a character they're just so boring yeah, uh, so they get into a motorcycle chase with Cloud that's pretty fun, and uh, in my notes I put, the craziest part about this is that the sequence is basically playable in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Because yeah, you do, get, you do get bike chases and you, you know, can hit the, you know, opposing enemies with your buster sword. Like, they just fucking did it in a video game 15 mm -hmm. years later. It's beautiful, again. Like, and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's awesome. We're going to get more of that too, obviously. Uh, maybe they'll even add some new fights for the trilogy of course but yeah like they were just like okay we can now just do this in a video game because before they had to limit it to a movie mm -hmm. um anyways cloud he meets with president rufus shinra who was the the hooded white man in the wheelchair and yeah uh reno tries to lay a blow on cloud for old time's sake and yeah it seems like rufus is in the wheelchair just as a result of uh blowing up in the game because i guess in the game his fate was ambiguous it was ambiguous yeah i as a kid thought he just died but yeah it's left pretty ambiguous uh i i did read an interview with nomura he said uh the reason why he's in the wheelchair it's not even like he even suffered he said no he was just fine the the entire time and suffered zero wounds from being blown up awesome <laughs> awesome that, that's canon guys that's canon uh we'll see how the canon changes in uh part three i suppose but again that's not for a while um, Rufus believes Geostigma comes from Sephiroth's defeat. He says the cells went into the live stream and weren't properly diffused. Sure, I can buy that. I, I like the idea that Sephiroth's defeat isn't the end of all the troubles uh, mm. in this world. And yeah, that's a perfectly fine idea. Sephiroth, who again, who was like a Genova being sure, maybe his cells would still go into the live stream and there could still be some form of conflict. I actually don't yeah. have a problem with that. The, the only reason I do have a problem with that is because Ooh. in in Christ it's shown in Crisis Core, but uh, when when they're in the reactor, and this will probably be shown in a rebirth as well during the flashback segment, Cloud stabs Sephiroth and he throws him into the life stream. So my question, just me being the Final Fantasy VII fan that I am, is if he if Sephiroth was already in the life stream much much earlier on in the timeline or whatever why didn't geostigma already exist but who knows i'm sure there's someone online that is probably calling me an idiot right now yeah i, I mean again maybe meteor also had something to do with it yeah uh, yeah and also whatever Aerith did unintentional side effects who knows True, anyways yeah. um tifa and marlene they go into Aerith's church 
And uh, I guess I didn't write anything more than that. Uh, meanwhile, Reno <laughs> seems like he genuinely wants to atone for what the Turks did. So that's nice. I, again, I like the fact that like Reno at least mentions that they were bad people. So yeah, they address it. They could have addressed it far better, but I can't say they didn't at least address it. Uh, there's also some stuff with this kid named Denzel trying to call someone, but I find the Denzel stuff so boring. So I checked it's out. I I liked the idea of Denzel and I thought it could have been done interesting, but he's so boring. Yeah, that's another thing we can talk about. So um, one of the major themes of this movie is the passing of a of a torch to a new generation, and that's an interesting idea. Again, that's why it's called Advent Children. Again, the children of Sethroth being the antagonists. The focus on Marlene and this new character called Denzel. Unfortunately, the film doesn't do anything interesting with any of that. I, I just uh, wish there was more between Denzel and Cloud because I thought, oh, is Cloud supposed to be like his father figure? And there's one kind of flashback scene about that. And he talks to Denzel sometimes, but very rarely. So their relationship isn't very well defined. Yeah, that's a good point because I, I barely even picked up on that. Uh, apparently, there's some novels that go into this. But again, it's a movie. It should be. I know this is not a self-contained movie, given that it's a sequel to a video game, but there sh should be more to this, especially yeah. for a brand new character. Uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, Kadaj, the main triplet, he confronts Rufus and beats Reno and Brood pretty easily. And he also reveals he beat the shit out of Sung and Elena. And he talks about the reunion, which in Final Fantasy Seven terms is a word with a lot of meaning. Again, reunion is a big deal in this franchise. It's mm -hmm. what the reunion with Genova, right? Is yes. that it? Gotcha. Yeah, that's the big one. It's what people thought part three was going to be called until uh, the Crisis Core remake took that. <laughs> Which again, man, they, you know, I'm again, my, my bet is that it's called Final Fantasy VII Reclaimed just because I think you're going to be right about that. They've, they've put a lot of emphasis and obviously we'll have to beat Rebirth to know what that means. I'm sure when Rebirth is finished, when the video game is finished, you'll know exactly what this stuff means. But yeah. it sounds like Reclaimed. And I like the idea of the villain reclaiming the world for himself. Get it? <laughs> That's what I see. That's what I see re Reclaimed to mean. Yeah, um, that, that would definitely make sense. Anyways, yeah, he beats the shit out of Reno and Rude pretty easily. Um, talks about the reunion. We then see Cloud with the rusted buster sword. And he's speaking to the dearly departed Zach. Zach, again, the person who gave uh, his life for Cloud. Again, if you're playing the, the remake project, now you know Zach has an even more confusing role. But yeah, in the context of this, he's telling Zach he's going to live out both their lives, which is uh, to make that promise he made to him way back. Mm -hmm. And we get a quick flashback of Zach. Again, it's more scenes from the original game re-rendered in new detail. Uh, yeah, I like this stuff. I like the focus. Here's here's the other thing about this movie. This movie got a lot of criticism for emo cloud, and I actually yep. don't think, upon rewatch, that that was deserved. I don't really think Cloud is that emo in this. Um, I don't think so either. I think he's just fucking depressed, and I don't blame him at all. Yeah, I, I'm again. This is a part of the movie where I liked it more, or at least I, you know, uh, my opinion had changed, or at least changed from the general consensus. It all tracks. It's like, yeah, he's got PTSD from losing the love of his life, and also finding out that his best friend, who had saved him, he had also taken the memories of his best friend because reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's got some major PTSD, and it's only been two years since that. Yeah, and again. You know, you, you and I were, were of a certain age where we know people who have, you know, had PTSD for way longer than that. So yep. two years is pretty fucking reasonable to still be depressed about this stuff. And I also think a lot of people who criticize Emo Cloud probably haven't played the original Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, uh, this is just another thought. They could also just be younger. Because, again, I think this is That's something... True. That's true. I think, again, as someone in their 30s who has just witnessed longer character arcs because of my age... I'm just more sympathetic to this. Again, two years doesn't seem like a particularly long time anymore to get over something like this. Yeah. Uh, the emo cloud stuff, I can safely say, was uh, an overreaction on, what is it? Cloud, he gets another geostigma attack, and Sephiroth tells him all he'll be is an empty puppet. And then we get Laws' confrontation with Tifa in the church. And yeah, this is just a fucking fun battle scene. Uh, there's, a fantastic, awesome. there's a fantastic shot uh, 
where uh, Laws is throwing Tifa at a wall and Tifa lands perfectly on it. Real Matrix shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely something I noticed, uh, I think, probably on my third time watching the movie. It's like, this movie seems to take some inspiration from the Matrix for the fight scenes, and that is more than okay, because it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, this was the same Square Enix team that uh, did the uh, 3D Matrix short that was part of the Animatrix, the uh, the last fly of the Osiris. So, oh, right. That totally that makes tracks. Sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's only 2005. I mean, the, the yeah. sequels had just come out. I mean, I know those sequels have their own reputation. But uh, <laughs> again, you know, Matrix mm-hmm. fever. Uh, again, Matrix, was, the, the time between this and the Matrix coming out is far shorter than the time between us talking about this movie. Yep. Um, and then in the middle of this fight, we hear the victory music playing on Laws's phone. This is the beat <laughs> I was telling you about that I think is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, again, they they take the iconic uh, Final Fantasy victory music. He takes a phone call and then he ends up taking down Tifa with his shock gauntlet. And he kidnaps Marlene, too, because that's just what happens to Marlene all the time. Again, I liked what Final Fantasy VII Remake did, which is uh, cut the Marlene kidnapping side plot short. Like, she gets kidnapped, but then it's resolved pretty quickly. I was so happy about that. Yeah, again, I've played the original game, and that plot takes a significant amount of time in that game, so I guess it's... very long time. (laughs) Nope, Marlene is just fine uh, in this version. But in this movie, yeah, she gets kidnapped, and again, it's... The passing of a new generation, uh, except the new generation doesn't get to do much or have much agency. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Cloud finds Tifa, who's been defeated, and he takes her back home. They have a moment together where Cloud says he's not fit to help anymore. And then Tifa says the iconic line, dilly dally, shilly shally, which Reno translates as meaning she wants him to move on. Dilly dally, shilly shally is is one of the main things I remember about this movie. (laughs) Same here. I had never heard that before this movie. I still quote it in my everyday life since watching that movie. Oh, God. I feel bad for the people who have to hear that. I do, it too. Is, <laughs> it is It is a line. Again, I don't mean to be rude, but it just feels like a Japanese line translated, like Google translated into English. It does. It really does. I remember hearing I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm sure one of the localizers at least brought it up and was like, hey, could we change this? And like Nomura or someone is like, no, no, this is incredibly important. No, no, you don't understand. In Japanese, it's amazing. Okay, but what about in English? It'll be fine. No, man. Uh, Again, it's just, it's so cheesy, but it is memorable. Uh, The Sephiroth triplets, they then have a bunch of geostigma-inflicted children in the Forgotten City, and uh, they get the kids to drink the weird cave water. Cloud then has another geostigma attack and sees Aerith, and she asks him why he's coming, and he says it's because he wants to be forgiven. Again, I like this stuff. This is a, actually a good arc for Cloud, where again, even though he saved the world, he still um, has a lot of guilt for what happened to Aerith. It tracks. It, it does track as, again, like a little epilogue. And then Cloud, he has a brawl with the triplets, and which ends with Vincent Valentine, another iconic character, rescuing him. An optional character, too. Which is why he doesn't yep. appear in cutscenes in the original game. I I have always been of the opinion that I think Vincent is as popular as he is, mostly because of this movie. Really? Yeah, because again, like he was, I I got Vincent in my first playthrough, but I don't I don't know how many people did. And Vincent is just also really fucking cool and voiced by Steve Bloom in this movie. And I, I just I don't know. I think they, I think a lot of people thought he was so cool, mostly from the movie, but. Who knows? Again, I could be totally wrong. Mm. Vincent's a cool character for sure. I mean, he gets maybe more screen time than Barrett, who, again, it was the fourth lead of the game. Oh, God, he does. And Vincent's a cool character. I'm curious to see what his role is like in Rebirth, obviously, because it will be more fleshed out because he Mm -hmm. will no longer be optional. Um, But yeah, him being voiced by Steve Bloom, I liked a lot um, because I I know we've criticized the voice acting. Let's get into it. Um, Yep. Let's get into it. Uh, sorry to sidetrack. But yeah, Tifa's voice actor, voiced by like a name too. Um, Rachel Lee Cook, who is like mm-hmm. a pretty popular actress at the time. I don't know what she does now. I, I hope she's okay. Um, but you know, she was a name and she voices Tifa. I don't think her voice is bad per se. It's certainly fine by 2005 standards. Uh, yeah. It's def- 
it's definitely not as good as uh, Britt Barron's uh, Tifa in the uh, remake series. Oh, she's fantastic. No. She is amazing as Tifa. Yeah, she's fantastic. I think um, the voice actor for Cloud in this, fuck, I just forgot his name. Steve Burton. Yeah, Steve Burton's Cloud. Yeah. On point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember even like uh, the actor who plays Cloud now, who is it? Cody. Cody Christensen, I think his name is. Yeah, Cody Christensen even said like in his like voice direction, they told him to just do Steve Burton, basically. Yeah, and you can you can really hear that in uh in the remake. Yeah, I think he and I, I think Cody's voice is fantastic. I think he does just add more personality because that's what the voice direction allowed him to do. Yeah. Um hopefully he'll get to make that role even more of his own in rebirth and so on. But yeah, like yeah. Steve Burton's cloud is pretty much the default cloud voice, the fact that it's even influenced uh the current guy. Mm-hmm. Uh I think, yeah, shout out to the guy who voiced Sethroth, George Newbern, who also uh, voiced oh, Superman. Man. Yeah, it's we're the being nice. One, it's the one casting choice I wish they kept in Rebirth. He is so good as Sephiroth. Yeah, it's funny. You and me, were gonna, we were going to criticize the voice acting. I guess we'll get to the bad they, people now. But, yeah. Um, George Newbern's fantastic as Seth. Like, that's just yeah. what Seth fucking sounds like. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, he doesn't have a ton of lines in this film, but when he does, mm-hmm. they're really fucking good. Yeah. Um, then who else? Who else? Uh, Bo Billingsley. Yeah, he's like a fine Barrett. Um, yeah, he's fine. Again, he just, he just don't give Barrett too much to do in this. Yeah, and, uh, and it's hard to even say like, oh, like I love John Eric Bentley as Barrett now. I think he's incredible. It's really hard to compare just because Barrett is barely in this movie. I think that's the big thing, because uh, Bo Billingsley, he he most notably voices uh, Jet Black and Cowboy Bebop. So, yeah, I'm always going to love his uh, voice acting. I suppose it was an age thing, which is why he wasn't asked to return. And I guess they didn't bring back anyone either. That was just their policy or whatever. But yeah. Bo Billingsley is also he's in his he, it says on Wikipedia, either 79 to 80. So, yeah, he's a uh, crap. He's an old guy. So, yeah, I, I could see why they're like, OK. He might not be around for uh, yeah remake part three or whatever. Yeah, and also I don't know how his voice has changed in the last twenty years either. That's fair. Yeah, I don't. It, I can't remember the last thing I've heard him in. It's it's like Mark Hamill voicing the Joker. I know he, even though he says he's quitting, he still occasionally does some random one off. Like he did like a just a Justice League Kitty cartoon like five years ago, and I love Mark uh, Hamill, yeah. and he was uh, I don't want to say bad, but I'm like okay, he can't do it anymore. Yeah. And he was doing it for a kid's cartoon, too. So it just sounded extra weird because it's like, oh, this is an 80 year old Joker. (laughs) Just fucking weird. Uh, Rick Gomez. Okay, I didn't know Rick Gomez started his uh, Zach career with this movie because, yeah, Mm -hmm. he voices Zach most notably in Crisis Core. And he's fantastic in that game. So, yeah. okay, he got to start with this one then. That's neat. Mm -hmm. And again, it's hard to say because Zach only gets like 10 lines in this movie yeah probably about that so it's hard again it's hard to really judge that yeah maybe that's why i didn't pick up on him being still the same zach because again he was still figuring out the character and obviously with Mm -hmm. crisis core he had way more time yeah there we go uh so good uh i guess the bad one the the really bad one i'm gonna say is uh oh it's christy carlson romano damn i like her well shit she wasn't a very good yuffie they got a disney kid nope she, she's the, the, the low light I, I was gonna say the two that always stand out to me as the just the bad in this movie are yuffie and denzel because i don't know something about whenever denzel talks it does sound like a kid but i just always feel like this kid has no emotion <laughs> yeah i mean i guess with denzel it sounded it it was less noticeably bad to me just because denzel just sucks so i wrote it off that's that's totally fair yeah anyways i guess that's our voice acting review um i guess what sid yeah sid i i, I didn't mind cranky sid in this cranky sid wasn't either. too bad um they're obviously going with a much different uh portrayal in rebirth so mm. if anything i might actually think the rebirth one is worse but again i've literally only heard two lines of the new guy yeah exactly i want to um, help i want damn that was good man well shit that was good <laughs> you're you're truly hey. a voice actor they should have casted me as Sid, man. What can they I should, say? Man. They should have. <laughs> um, Greg Ellis, he's a pretty good voice actor. He voices Ketchy, yeah. and again, he sounded he sounds pretty close to what they're doing for Rebirth. So, mm-hmm. um, Leo O'Brien, he voices Red Thirteen. He, again, he only has like two or three lines. 
Yeah. I guess we, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to catch she and uh, red 13 in a bit. Anyways, we were talking about Vincent Valentine rescuing cloud mm-hmm. uh, and they also rescue Marlene. So at least the Marlene rescue arc is pretty much done after this action yeah. beat. Uh, the triplets then attack the city of edge and Reno and rude are the ones holding them back. Cause again, Reno and rude, the most important characters in the saga. Yeah. I like just thinking about it. Like, I don't know like why they wouldn't have brought like, the old crew back for this fight. I mean, they do, they do eventually for a later fight, but I'm like, I would have loved to see like Baird and Yuffie and sit against these guys, but no Reno and rude, man. It's Reno and rude all the time. I know my it's dog's the... barking. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have a 10 month old dear listener. I'm so sorry, but it's... anyways, uh, Marlene at one point, she does a pretty adorable impression of Barrett. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Kadaj reveals to Rufus his plan of bringing back Sephiroth. And then Kadaj then summits Bahamut Sin. And basically, uh, the plan just involves, I guess, taking the remnants of Genova and fusing with them, if I get that right. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that that's how every plot line in Final Fantasy VII works. It's the, They got to revive Genova or some bullshit. They got to bring back Genova. And this time, we got to bring back Genova's son. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, Bahamut Sin, he gets summoned. Bahamut Sin is a pretty cool character design. I mean, everyone loves Bahamut. Always good to have a new Bahamut in a Final Fantasy VII project. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. It's a pretty awesome fight. Um, but no, we still got more Reno and Rude. Uh, they get a pretty lengthy fight (laughs) scene. Uh, Rude is taken down by a sign and then gets his glasses stomped, but then he pulls out another pair. And then finally, after all these fucking Reno and Rude antics, Barrett, Kate Sith, Red 13, and Sid, and Yuffie finally make their return to fight Bahamut. Uh, and even Denzel manages sub- to subdue a monster by opening up a fire hydrant. which Like makes- an absolute <laughs> badass. Like a badass, but like how fucking strong are these monsters if a fire hydrant can take them down? I, yeah, he just grabs like a metal pipe and then opens a fire hydrant and beats one. I'm like, oh... And, like, I think that scene would have been cool, again, if we had seen Denzo and Cloud, like, maybe training or something. Yeah, Because I, I feel say. like that's something Cloud would have taught Denzel. Oh, boy. Uh, Rufus, he finally gets out of his wheelchair and revealed he's uh, not injured at all. He then tosses Genova's remains off the building. Cloud, uh, being assisted by the party, finally manages to take down Bahamut in a great sequence. Yeah, this, this cooperative sequence uh with cloud taking down bahamut's fucking awesome it was so good like i know a lot of people say this movie probably hasn't aged too well the fight scenes are just always so fucking cool yeah i think maybe it was part of just the limits of the technology but like they're very um the way the camera is on them it's just it's not that kind of shaky cam bullshit where you can't see things like it's all very stable Mm-hmm. Uh, which might have been like technological limits because they couldn't go as ambitious as they wanted to, but at least it makes the fights easy to follow. Yeah. So they're very well directed. Again, uh, uh, props to Nozue, who I guess was uh, responsible for all that. And he you knows know, what he's doing. And obviously his team, of course. Uh, they yeah. also did a fantastic job. But yeah, um, it's funny. The director of uh, the Marvels, um, she has cited Advent Children as an influence, which. You can see, because again, I've seen that movie. It's not as bad as all the fucking uh, weirdos online are saying. It's not the best <laughs> movie. It's like a solid 7 out of 10, but it does have fun fight choreography. And the fight choreography does involve, you know, three characters with different powers, combining their abilities to take down a greater foe. Like, that's 100% from Advent Children. Yeah. So, again, uh, all, all the characters... You know, all the characters in the party helping Cloud out get to even higher heights, and he finally takes Bahamut down. You know, A plus, no complaints on that scene. It's aged just as well as you'd uh, hope it to. Mm-hmm. Um, we then get another motorcycle chase with Cloud being assisted by Reno and Rude. Once again, fucking Reno and Rude. They're surprising yep. me even in my notes. Uh, <laughs> they end up crashing their plane, but they land okay. Kadaj then finally reaches Aerith's church and gets the Genova shut up, gets the Genova cells. A live stream spring opens up in the church for reasons and it cures Cloud's geostigma. Uh, Carson, do you have a reason for why the spring came from Aerith's church? Uh, I always considered it was just Aerith herself in the live stream helping to cure it. Um, as for actual reasons, it's not very well explained. 
but I've always just called it it's the Aerith water that seems to cure it. You know what? The fact that Aerith does assist multiple times after dying, uh, I, I believe that. I'll I'll yeah. take that as a good explanation. Uh, what is it? Yeah, Cures, Claws, Geostigma, Kadaj, and Cloud Brawl again. Yuffie then brings Materia, which is the first time this very important thing is mentioned. It takes mm -hmm. a very long time. And it's I don't even think Cloud uses a spell in this game. No, but I know there is reasoning behind that from a lore perspective because Materia Ooh. is it does actually harm the planet when you use it. And I know Cloud has limited his use of it when he found that out. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Shit. But huh. so why'd she bring Materia if we know it's bad? I think Yuffie because Yuffie's like the Materia girl, right? Living That's... in the Materia world. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you, you, you had to do it. I, I appreciate it. I had it. to. I had to. Um, what is it? Yeah, uh, Yuffie does her job and she's annoying, but I don't want to be too mean to Christy Carlson Romano. I like that actor. So, yeah, again, there's a lot of like Disney people in this movie. Um, what is it? Uh, Kadaj, he finally turns into Sethroth and the audience gets what they wanted. They all wanted a Cloud versus Sethroth rematch. It's pure fan service. I'm not sure if it's what the movie needed, but I suppose because they couldn't come up with better antagonists to begin with yeah That's, i'm torn on this and there are good things about this fight which i'll get into um yeah as cloud gets his ass beat by sethroth a vision of zach appears and gives cloud some motivation so like we said way earlier at the beginning um they did add some shots in the complete edition including one where cloud gets impaled mirroring what sethroth does to him Back at like, uh, it's not the Maka reactor. What it's what's the specific location? The the Nibelheim reactor. Nibelheim reactor. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's an iconic visual that they get to repeat in the complete edition. Anyways, it's a great brawl, but I was not writing every single slash in my notes. <laughs> Again, this is a visual medium. This movie is also free. I should note on YouTube. So yes, if you need to follow along, you can just go on there. <laughs> um. So the brawl happens, it's dope, it's well animated. And then it ends with Seth saying he will never be a memory. And that to me is a fucking badass final line for a villain. That's probably my favorite line in any movie ever. Yeah. It gave me it gave me goosebumps when I watched it for the first time, and it still does today. Again, that's that's George Newburn uh getting his paycheck. Like that's him fucking <laughs> yeah. delivering. No, and it's so well done. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about it is now that we know what's happened because the video game Final Fantasy VII Remake, its sequel Rebirth, and its part three are sequels to this movie. <laughs> that line has a lot more fucking meaning because it's the same character who is saying it. Yeah, he was right. He'll never be a memory. No. Nope. Um, so it's not like the, you know, I think actually... Now, I'm sure they knew at some point they were going to remake Final Fantasy VII. Even I in think they knew. It was just a matter of time. And I'm glad they waited when they did, because obviously they're getting to, to realize it in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's not like they had like, you know, this whole uh, end of Evangelion or rebuild of Evangelion plot in their heads quite yet. Mm -hmm. But that line definitely gave them leeway to bring that character back. Yeah, so, I think I'm, even like just for the animation at the time, they're probably like, oh, we can definitely make the game just look better. And they, they probably had it in their heads forever. I mean, the fact that the game's animation, even like it's uh, in engine scenes, like look better than this movie is pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Seth says he'll never be a memory. Aerith tells Kadaj he doesn't need to hang on any longer and he fades into the live stream. It starts to rain and everyone's uh, geostigma is starting to be cured. It's not quite cured because then there's another scene where it's fully cured, but um, mm -hmm. it's definitely doing its job. And then Tifa says she knew Aerith was there and thanks her. But it's not over yet. We still have one quick uh, action beat where Cloud gets shot by the other two uh, children. They uh, slash at Cloud and explode, but then it's uh, it's not even worth it. Cloud survives and they're both dead. Uh, R.I.P. Laws and uh, the other one. <laughs> not even giving the, other guy. the most interesting characters in the movie uh then we get marlene and denzel and a bunch of citizens they are rushing to Aerith church in a really nice visual and cloud is in yet another live stream vision and he calls Aerith mother and she says 
why is everyone calling me their mother lately? And then Zach says, I guess they must be fond of you. And uh, she says, this this one is a little too big to adopt. And fuck, I didn't specify who it was. Uh, I think it's Zach who says it. Tough luck, friend. It looks like you don't have a place here. Yeah, that's Zach. Okay, word. There we go. Um, that little reunion between Cloud and Zach uh, and Aerith, I really do like. Very well mm-hmm. done. Again, I don't have a ton of notes on how uh, Cloud's real character arc minus the terrible antagonist is. I actually like this yeah. stuff. It's 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 good, and it makes sense for Cloud. Anyways, Cloud, he wakes up in the spring in Aerith's church. Cloud then brings Denzel into the spring and basically baptizes him in it. And then Cloud sees Aerith at the church with some children. Her, her and Zach give Cloud one last look, and they say, you see, everything's all right. And Cloud says, I know, I'm not alone, not anymore. And that's how it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into a little post credits, but yeah, that's how the movie itself ends. Like, fuck, man, I like that. It it's a it's a really good ending. <laughs> it's a good ending. Yeah, there's it's weaknesses, obviously, with the terrible antagonist. But when you just track the idea of telling a story of Cloud and suffering PTSD from the events of the game, and then by the end learning to love life and embrace his uh, friends who are still there for him, fuck, man, it's not a bad arc at all. Not at all. It it makes sense. I I still, in my opinion, just because I love Final Fantasy VII, Cloud's like my favorite character in fiction, period. And uh, this movie is definitely a reason why. Having this epilogue for him where he is struggling, the fact that his best friend and his love died. And then I don't know if you noticed this uh, during the movie, but you don't see Aerith's face until the very last scene. And that's the only time Cloud actually smiles in the movie. And I just, I don't know, something about that, just, I love it. I mean, fuck, man, that's just good movie making. Like for all it the criticisms, for all the criticisms of this movie, this is an arc that tracks. And man, again, that's cinema. It, as mm-hmm. George Lucas would say, it's like poetry. It rhymes. Uh, there is a little post-credit scene. I'm not sure if it was added into only the complete edition, um, but and it's weird too because the way they do it is it's actually in live action, so they didn't even like animate new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, flowers are growing where the buster sword used to be, which again, that's, you know, symbolism, you know, (laughs) life finally growing after the death of an important person. And Denzel asks Cloud if this is somebody's grave and Cloud says, no, it's where a hero began his journey. And you see that the buster sword is now in Aerith's church and no longer rusted. Fuck man. Oh, I love this movie. (laughs) That's a good ending. That's a good ending to the saga. Like, honestly, Mm -hmm. you don't need to make a sequel to it. At least until they decided not (laughs) to make one, which obviously we're very happy about and hopefully Mm -hmm. we'll find an even better visual to end on. But man, like shit, it it all tracks. It tracks well. Mm. All right. I think we're at the end of this podcast. Let's get into it. Uh, Cue the music. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. So for those just joining in, the Speedwagon is our favorite supporting character of this movie, and I shall go first. My speed wagon is dilly dally shilly shally. <laughs> it's the listen, I love Cloud, I love Tifa, uh, Aerith, but there's something I think about in this movie. Uh, it's dilly dally shilly shally. I can safely mm. say my speed wagon is not the Turks. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I think I actually liked Reno and Rude a lot when I was younger, but now mm. knowing the context of this role and uh, where the screen time is, yeah, uh, not so much. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you actually stole quite literally exactly what I was going to say. Um, I You can do it. Look, look, I've said it since I was a kid. I know I know your opinion is that Nico Robin is the hottest woman, the most attractive woman. I don't know, man. I'm just convinced that when when the young Carson saw Tifa, I my life changed. <laughs> uh, so I love you- Tifa. Okay, you're giving it specifically it. to Tifa, not the uh, not I, the uh, not. Well, I feel like you can't have Tifa without dilly dally shilly shally. In I guess this movie. not. <laughs> but it's what her role is. That's my question. Yeah. My role. 
Um, and I mean, she loses her her one with solo fight. <laughs> That's very true, but it's a pretty cool fight. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't give trophies to losers, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. Um, but before I forget, too, I do want to um, not really give a shout out, but it, the lack of screen time for Kate Sith and Red 13 uh, is pretty obvious just because uh, rendering all that fur took them an insane amount of time to begin yeah. with. So those are characters where I understand why their role was limited. And again, it's pretty funny because Red 13 has a pretty big role in the video game. And uh, yes. they, they weren't afraid to give him a big role uh, in Remake either. Uh, they just didn't make him playable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's, it's funny how little screen time him and Kate Sith have because it was just the realities of making a movie in 2005. I think yeah, even I'm they said, go ahead. No, I mean, even they, they even said in an interview that uh, Tifa's hair was also a big issue for them. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I just like I think Red only has like three lines total in the movie. Yeah, Something it's not like much. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the, the nature of being a furred character. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't even think, did Kate Sith even have his Moogle in this? I don't think he did. No, he didn't. He was just riding mm -hmm. on Red 13's back the entire movie. Okay, yeah. So that those were some cut corners for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. All right. Final thoughts on Advent Children. I'll go. Um, like I say, this movie is better in some ways than I remember and worse in others. But I think, you know, is Advent Children good? I think it's like it's good with an asterisk. Uh, the antagonists are bad. The pacing is weird. Um, some of the themes of the whole passing the torch to the next generation isn't executed as well as it could be, but its core arc for its lead character is pretty fucking good. Like, you know, Cloud's arc, uh, fucking A plus. Sure, I'll give it that. <laughs> it's a great Cloud movie. I'm not so sure about the rest. Um, but the fact that it even succeeds in that is uh better than I remembered. Yeah, I my thoughts are pretty are pretty similar. I I love this movie mostly for nostalgia reasons. Like I'll watch it whenever. Like I I love it. Is it as good as I remember it being? God no. Like you said, the pacing's not great. The antagonists just are just bad. I, if they got rid of most of the Renown Rude stuff, I think that'd make the movie flow a lot better. But I don't know, but I'll love it. Cloud's arc is amazing. I love Cloud. I love Tifa. I love I love all of the cast, but I, I just love Cloud's arc in this movie. It's it's incredible. I love Final Fantasy seven. <laughs> I know. And, and this uh, podcast is uh, launching the week of the uh, anniversary of the series. Uh, what mm -hmm. came out in 1997. So I guess it's the. Yep. 20 shit is it the 27th anniversary of final fantasy 7 i believe so that's how math works so shit oh my god that's very <laughs> special um it's also my theory because while we're still on the topic it's also my theory that uh remake part three will release within three years i think it's i, I, I th think you're right i don't think it's gonna be a four-year development cycle i think they're releasing no. it on the 30th anniversary that would make sense yeah uh, again what is it yeah fall Fall 2027? 20, 20, 20, Fuck, that's a... Yeah, that's perfect for them. Three and a half years, yeah. and they still get to say it's the 30th? That's yep. a... Why not? And who knows? Maybe they even do do it on, like, January 31st, which is the Japanese release, if, if they manage to get oh, it yeah, together. Oh, yeah, that's true. They love their symbolism, those guys at Square. They or, do. They love it. Oh, God, here's another idea. Uh, July 7th, uh, 2077, which would be triple seven. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, they're going to do it on a symbolic date if, if they can get it together in time. They're going to do something like that. For because... sure. I mean, even in the grand scheme of things, like Final Fantasy VII is a pretty important game in terms of, you know, in just gaming history. It's a huge reason why JRPG as a term became a thing. It's the reason why Final Fantasy and other JRPGs became popular over here. So... I'm fine if they give it as much symbolism as they want. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the most important game in the series, just bar none. If Final Fantasy mm -hmm. VII didn't uh, hit the way it did, it, it would be a much different gameplay uh, landscape for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. A anyways, uh, as much as I could talk about Final Fantasy VII, uh, <laughs> I think we got to end it here. Uh, Carson, where can people find you? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at CM Hazlitt, or sorry, X now, whatever. I still call it Twitter. Uh, at CM Hazlitt. Uh, I think I'm on Blue Sky as well, but I don't really touch that and I don't remember my name. So find me on Twitter and Instagram. I, I got a Blue Sky code, but then I never used it. I mean, I mm. used the code and then I made an account and that was it. Um, yeah. Yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck exclusive clubs. But at the same time, Twitter is just even worse and worse and worse. It, it now, is, yeah. Now it's just uh, people trying to get quote tweet money, I guess, where it's just like <laughs> yeah. 10 top 10 favorite anime fights and they're all really shitty ones. That's what I yep. see a lot. Yeah, man. Um, you can find me at uh, Jack is Jack on Instagram, only real Jack M on Twitter. Um, the podcast is only on uh, Instagram effectively as uh, Elon got rid of uh, Twitter instagram functionality so (laughs) that that was enough for me to just never post anymore for the podcast on there so there you go we're on instagram obviously we're on spotify and yeah continue to listen i had that about sums it up thank you dear listener for listening as always i think at some point uh depending on the dates we're going to cover pluto uh scott pilgrim versus the world is also on deck so there there are some there is some stuff to come um and remember is this anime will never be a memory because uh, (laughs) it's still ongoing. Bye. All right. Perfect, man. Thank you. Perfect. Allow me to elucidate you. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon.